Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo, and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet, or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost, or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key. And that's why we're here to help. Every week, we're bringing you the top health, wellness, and fitness experts, along with a lot of really amazing everyday people. And it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. Don't want to wait until Monday for the next episode of Motivated? You can hear it three days early on the TuneIn app. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. talking all about how to bounce back from an injury, the, the mental and physical work that you have to do to recover from a setback. And I'm joined by two really great guests. First is Buster Screen is a cornerback for the New York Jets. And you, you have a, a lot of injuries that you can share your experience with. So I definitely want to talk to you about that and how you, how you bounce back from it and stay in the game. And Dr. T. Sean Lynch, an orthopedic surgeon with Columbia and New York Presbyterian. Did I get it? And everything in you got great. it. Great. Okay, <laughs> so Buster, let's start with you because your your list of injuries, you know, through your career is is pretty lengthy. Tell me about what injuries you've suffered. So I've been playing for seven years, and uh, the first bad injury I really got in the NFL, I had broke my thumb, and uh, I did that in Cleveland. Broke my thumb, but it was repaired like the next day. So it was repaired the next day. Well, it got surgery the next day. You that got was, surgery the next day. Yes. Okay, but how how long were you out for? I was out. I played the next game. You played the next game? I just put game. a cast on. Okay. But that must have been painful. Yeah, it was pretty painful. I mean, my thumb was just flopping around. But other uh-huh. than that, I, I recovered pretty good. Okay. And wh- what else? Last year, I got a bone bruise on my knee. Mm-hmm. And it was it was swelled up like crazy. But that caused me to miss two games. That was my first two games I ever missed in the NFL. That must have been hard for you. Yeah, it was. And we played my old team, too when I missed the game and I really wanted to play against them. So that was my first injury of missing the game. Mm-hmm. And what else? That's about it. I broke my pinky and uh, that didn't take too long to come back from, but I've been pretty healthy. Other than that, just swelling. But I feel like every football player has that, but me just being, I guess on the lucky side of the injury list, I've been uh, pretty healthy. So I do want to talk to you about kind of the, the mental aspect. You mentioned missing a game that you really wanted to play in um, and missing two games, in fact. So I, I want to get back to that. But, Doctor, you know, the people listening to this are largely not professional athletes, right? We're talking about weekend warriors, people who really want to get more fit and get in better shape. What are some of the more common injuries that you're seeing with just the general population and what activities are causing the most injuries in people? Yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> obviously, Buster's on one side of the spectrum, a uh, high-level performance athlete um, who's you know, putting his body in harm's way every week. However, you know, most of the people I see in the office don't don't fall into that category. And right now, with it being marathon season, we're seeing a ton of people who are coming in with foot and ankle as well as knee injuries as a result of their training for their marathon. And a lot of the injuries that we tend to see are more kind of, you know, inflammation or tendonitis type of injuries, whether it's of the knee or the foot and ankle. And most of the time, it's overuse. So uh, most of the time, it's people who have not been doing any activity, who are jumping into doing you know, a, a big thing such as the marathon and end up putting themselves in harm's way. So it's really a matter of being smart when you start uh, getting into these big type of uh, physical activity. 
activities. And what activities do you see causing a lot of injuries? Is, is it running, you know, cycling? Like, what, Is there any kind of discernible pattern? Yeah, so, you know, running tends to be uh, the big one that we see, and as I said, particularly in the fall with, with this being marathon season. And there's a lot of times people who were not doing anything and all of a sudden start, you know, trying to run 20 miles on, on their Saturday or on their Sunday, and their, their bodies just aren't ready. You know, unfortunately, we're no longer in those days when we were in high school or college where we could just go out and do any sporting activity that we want. There's a lot of preparation that goes into preparing for an event uh, such as that, uh, you know, for, for marathon training. And by the time people come to you, I'm guessing they've already tried the home remedies. They've already yeah. been suffering for weeks, days. So you're seeing them kind of at the later stage yeah, of that injury. They, usually they, they start off trying to do um, the rest, the ice, compression, uh, elevation type of thing. And and usually when they can't get back to doing that activity that they want to is usually when they'll come into the office. Um, and, again, runners sometimes are a little bit later to the game than other people. Um, and I would probably say people in New York City in general are probably of that type of personality as well, too. They're pretty— You're kidding. Yeah, I know. Hard to believe, right? So they'll <laughs> usually come and see me when it's really bad. They'll come in and, you know, dragging their, dragging their leg or dragging their arm, uh, begrudgingly coming to the office. Right. So, so, Buster, how do you manage the mental aspect of healing— and trying to care for yourself, and also still trying to exercise and work out. In your case, it's training, it's your career, it's your job, playing games. How do you juggle those two things? Because I'm sure you want to go all out all the time, but then sometimes you can't. Yeah, well, being a football player, you know football is a 100% injury sport. Like, it doesn't matter if you come out of the game with no bruises or anything, you're, you're hurt in some type of way. So a lot of times I try to... A lot of people really think of that. Is that true? You're hurting after every game in some way? Oh, every game. Just because after every game, you're going to be sore. So that means you've injured your body. So just being a football player, the mental part of it is on your off days, like today is my off day. And today I'll do cryotherapy and I'll do acupuncture. And those are two things that help my body recover. So mentally, if you know you're doing all you can do off the field when you have time down to recover, then you feel better about yourself. But if you're going out partying and drinking and things like that, that'll get to an athlete mentally. But other than that, me as an athlete in my seven years, I felt good about myself in a mental state because I do whatever I can do to help my body recover. So it's interesting because you're treating recovery as part of your training. Right. Recovery and diet. So tell me about that. Why? why? So explain this to someone who doesn't get it. They think that resting is a waste of time. Any kind of active recovery, waste of time, not part of your training. How would you convince them that, no, that actually is a very important part of your training? Recovery is most important. And uh, they say the best type of recovery is sleep. So as an athlete, I make sure I go to bed like the nights before practice, like 1030, 11. How much sleep do you aim to get? Anywhere between seven hours, seven to eight hours. Okay. I love to hear you say that. You consider sleep part of your training. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like when I get sleep, I feel the best the next day. But other than that, uh, just like cryotherapy, which is pretty much the same as getting in the cold tub, but way, way, way shorter. What is it called? Cryotherapy. Uh, what does it consist of? So you pretty much get in this cryotherapy machine. You get in there with tights on. Or if you're a lady, you put like a bathing suit on and you get inside this machine, and what's the type of? It, so it's a. I think it's supposed to. It's basically super cold. It's supposed to help regenerate and help to stimulate a healing response uh, to the body, particularly in high-level athletes. It's become quite the uh, 
quite the rage. So you get um, into a super cold, like, is it like a closet? Like you're standing up? It's like up? going How does to Antarctica for three minutes. How yeah. cold is it? Out. It's super cold. It's like 250 degrees below temperature. And you stay in there for how long? Three minutes. So it's you either stay in there for two or three minutes. I usually stay in there the whole time. That but must be get, excruciating. It is, it is pretty cold, but it's better than the cold tub because the cold tub, you have to sit in there for like 10 minutes. And that's just okay. out of control. So you just get it over with. Yes, I just try to get, like, get it over with. So three minutes, I do it three times a week every time I get a break. And other than that, I get massages two times a week. And if I do need a spot that needs needling that's super tight, I'll do that also. Okay. I love that, that the, 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 you're, you're taking your recovery so seriously. And that's a lesson for all of us because we think, you know, team, no sleep, stay up late, get mm-hmm. a lot done, wake up early, go to the gym. And, and you're reminding us how important it is to take care of your body when you're not actively training but this the what is the the cryotherapy cryotherapy the cryotherapy is that effective um it has been found to be effective um i know a lot of professional teams have been investing in their own personal cryotherapy chambers um and it's you know particularly when you're dealing with professional athletes if they think it's working that's all that matters (laughs) right um as, as you were saying that there's a there is a mental component to this so if you feel like it's helping your body recover after after a game, then it's it's worth it. Is it something the average person can afford, or is it really expensive? Um, I I think out of pocket, it's it's pretty expensive. There are some places where they will have them in their gyms or physical therapy locations, but I think you have to pay for it. it the The thing itself is uh, quite the uh, expensive uh, piece of equipment. So. And is there any benefit to an ice bath? Because anybody can do that. I, I think you know you can certainly for you know your weekend warrior an ice bath works probably just as well. But so, as Buster was saying, you just you kind of have to sustain that for you know ten to fifteen minutes, and uh, <laughs> when you do enough of those over your career, I'm sure you're probably if you can cut seven minutes out, it's probably worth it, right? Right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, the rice, the rest, ice, compression, elevation. Yeah. Um, sometimes I hear heat. Sometimes yeah. I hear cold. What are the best rules of thumb for someone who has hurt themselves, not in a major way that they need to come to see a doctor, they want to take care of it at home? What are the best home remedies for an injury? Yeah, so usually kind of in in a nutshell, if you're having some type of swelling where, you know, you're looking at your ankle, your knee, your elbow, things look a little bit more swollen than usual, you probably should put some ice on it that will help to get compress everything and have it come down so that uh, the muscles around those joints don't uh, shut down. If you're dealing with more of a muscle-based injury, so if it's a hamstring or a calf muscle, he can sometimes feel pretty good as well, too. And a lot of times, you know, a patient will say, you know, one doesn't feel good, the other one feels better. I tell them, you know, go with what makes you feel better at this point. Um, Compression uh, is always really beneficial, particularly when you're dealing with joints where you're having swelling. It can help give a little bit of uh, proprioception or give perceived stability to the joints so that you can then go about your daily activities or that sporting activity that you want to do. How do you know when it's time to go see a doctor? Yeah, great question. So um, if you find that you're taking more, if you're taking Tylenol or anti-inflammatories more than you probably would on a normal basis, if you feel that the pain is waking you up at night, if you're not able to do the activity that you want, or if you have swelling that's present for more than a few days, you probably should go see a doctor and make sure that this is not uh, the beginning of a bigger issue that might be underneath the surface. Can you continue working out while you're nursing an injury or do you really have to take time off? Um, there are some injuries where you can continue to train through them. Um, most of the time, if it's something that's been going on for a few days, if it's a muscle strain and it's something that's not slowing you down from doing it, 
you know, it's probably okay to kind of keep pushing through it. Um, but there are some injuries where if you feel like you have pain on the bone, if you're able to push on uh, pain in different parts of your body, and you're like, yes, my this it hurts in this exact area, then chances are that might be meaning that you have some type of tendon, ligament injury, muscle injury, or, you know, sometimes uh, uh, stress, uh, stress bone injury that you, you should get checked out. Uh, Buster, you mentioned diet. So how are you changing your diet or are you changing your diet when you're, when you're injured? If you have to take some time off, if you have to recover, how do you change what you're eating? So I usually try to eat things from the earth that are good for swelling, like berries and stay away from like pasta and bread and things like that, that, that I guess help swell and stay there. So usually I try to eat things from the earth yep. that pretty much will decrease swelling. So anything that decreases swelling, and I try to stay away from pills and things like that, that's usually what I do. So you're more into a holistic approach. Yeah. And what what do you recommend if someone does want to stay away from drugs, they want to do it the natural way? Yeah, so um, as, as Buster was saying, that there's some, some berries that you can eat that have natural in, uh, anti-inflammatories. Um, like which ones? Um, so I know raspberries, uh, blueberries, blackberries are all pretty beneficial from that perspective. Um, if you How go, much do you have to eat, though? Do you have to eat a ton? You know, it's um, you probably have to eat a good amount. Buster, how much? How much are you, are you eating? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll try to I'll try to drink three shakes a day. Okay. And then every shake will have just every berry that yep. we have at our facility. And, but like one of our trainers said, like it's pretty hard to to match a berry with like a Advil. Yep. Or like uh, uh, endometrium. Yeah. yeah. So, as an athlete, sometimes you have to go that route mm-hmm. just to get the results. But if you do go like the pill route, like you have to make sure you stay hydrated because you'll get dehydrated super quick. Yeah. Right. So you're really taking care of yourself holistically, like the the whole way. You know, mind, body, rest, sleep, training hard. I mean, there are guys out there that I, you know, you, you read about them and they're like partying all the time, they're drinking all the time. No, but that's that, true. That's like, true. That must be really hard to <laughs> to do both. As an NFL player, I mean, you come in the game, you're young, you're 21. Some people are even 20. Like your body changes as you go on through the game. So I feel like I, I was at Cleveland. I met a guy named Carlos Dansby, and he used to bring his food to work every day. And I'm like, man, why does this guy keep bringing his food to work? <laughs> but he had a successful career. So uh, Carlos pretty much told, taught me how to eat, and then I got even deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And um, my contract year in Cleveland, I was eating all the right foods. I was doing all the right stuff, and I ended up getting a nice contract from it. And I felt better. I felt more energized and things like that. So I said I'm going to stay like this. And then that's kind of how I started doing things off the field that were related to health and fitness. Wow. Um, back to the diet. Anything else that, that is, is good for, you know, uh, treating injuries or, or helping? Yeah. Um, so just to, to Buster's point, you know, for, for these high-level athletes, you know, everything you're putting into your body, that's the energy that you're using to be able to expand in practice or expand on the field. So, you know, being able to take that very seriously can help help you have a long, successful career as Buster has had. Um, in terms of other, you know, other foods to to be on the lookout for, you know, um, carbohydrates in the right setting can be beneficial. You know, usually the the day before a big event, whether it's a you know a football game, a soccer game, a marathon, 
getting that energy because uh, that can be converted uh, to pretty quickly to uh, sustainable forms while you're doing a, an endurance event such as a game or a race. Those are, are all very beneficial. Um, but it's also just making sure that you eat well from all the, the, all the different uh, food groups as well, too. You want to make sure you have a well-balanced diet so that you can eat, you know, hit that checkbox for each one of those things that your body needs in order to compete at a high level. Now, when should someone consider sur- surgery for an injury? Yeah, so um, surgery is uh, always, you know, we always try to do everything we can from the most minimally invasive way to get athletes and patients back to the activities that they want to do. Um, we always try to look at physical therapy first, uh, working on strengthening the muscles around the different areas that you have injured. Sometimes we'll consider anti-inflammatories. However, there are some injuries that you can't, you can't rehab and that you might need to have surgery. So like what Buster was saying, when you have an injury to a bone that needs to be put back together, you can't fix that with physical therapy. Or if you've torn a ligament that is necessary for you to run and cut, more times than not, you cannot treat that without surgery. So it's a little bit of a difficult question to answer. But for the most part, um, if it's something that is not preventing you from being able to, if you're able to rehab it appropriately, it's not having any long-term, or it's not having any effects with swelling, preventing you from um, uh, putting yourself in harm's way, we can usually try to avoid surgical intervention. But a lot of times in high-level athletes, whether it's a shoulder, knee, or hip, more times than not, if if this is kind of if it's if it's something that they necessitate to play the sport, it's probably something that needs to be fixed. You know, a lot of people are so tied to their fitness routines because it's their stress release. It's it's what makes them feel good. They get an endorphins bo- endorphins boost out of it. You know, people are very tied to their fitness, and when we get injured it's hard to modify your activity. How much of when you're treating patients, how much of it is convincing them that they need to take it easy, that they need to take breaks, that they need to maybe switch activities? How hard is that? That's a great question. Like 95 to 98%. Um, I would, you know, as we were talking about, there's a huge psychological component to recovering from an injury. I would say as a sports medicine surgeon, most of my job is, you know, being a cheerleader or a psychologist along the way as well, too, particularly when dealing with an ACL injury or hip labral tear. These are injuries that really, you know, take a, an athlete or a patient through the spectrum of emotions. And you kind of have to encourage them along the way and let them know that they're doing well or if they need to back off or if they can push forward. So a lot of what we do is there's a lot of psychology in, sp- in sports medicine to, to get people back to where they want to go. And sometimes they just have, sometimes patients will even come, they'll sit in my office and They'll know exactly what I'm going to say. They just need to hear me say it. Like, you either need to lose some weight, you need to back off the activity that you're doing, you need to take a rest. These are all things that sometimes they just need to hear from someone else and not themselves. So any suggestions, Buster, on if if you were talking to someone who has suffered an injury, and and again, most of our listeners are not professional athletes, but people get really down. You know, I've Mm -hmm. been injured. I have a friend right now who has a really bad back injury. She's a fitness fanatic, and she's really down about the fact that she can't work out the way she wants to. What would you say to, to, to someone who's working through an injury um, who needs a little bit of motivation, you know, to, to get back on their feet? Well, I would say uh, just get on a routine or a schedule every day. So maybe they had schedule A when they were healthy and could be able to do certain things like that. Because you said you had a friend that hurt their back. My little brother was actually working out with me and he hurt his back power cleaning. So I seen for him firsthand like he was frustrated he couldn't work out with me and we we're like workout partners I didn't work out with no trainers or anything I just worked out with him so he couldn't work out with me anymore so I could tell he was getting frustrated like man I can't work out he would try to go back and then his back would get more locked up but now my little brother has a schedule like he wakes up every morning he'll do like uh, a treadmill walk 
he'll do things in the gym that he can pretty much do that won't harm his back. And then he'll get on the schedule of being productive throughout the day and eat the right foods that makes him feel better to be like, I'm doing everything today to help my back. So if you can get on a schedule that helps whatever injury you have that keeps you productive throughout the day, then I think that'll help you in the long run. Let's talk about getting back to your activities. Because you mentioned your brother, he tries to keep going back, and then you know you can hurt yourself again in the mm-hmm. same way, especially if you go back a little too aggressively. Do you have any tips for easing back into your activities without aggravating an old injury? Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, this is uh, something where, you know, I, I'm counseling people, you know, we kind of have to work out smarter, not harder. So I usually try to have them, if they're getting back into act, getting back into an activity, really trying to ease themselves back into whatever that sport is or whatever that physical activity is. So if they want to get back to running, if, if they've been nursing a lower extremity injury, you know, we'll have them kind of do some lower impact elliptical stationary bike, work on their cardiovascular fitness and try to increase that activity so that at least their fitness is there so that when we allow them to get back into running, they're they're not you know having difficulty with trying to get their breath back and then slowly increase the amount of activity that they're doing. So everything is kind of a gradual return to play um, so that they're not putting themselves in harm's way. And how do you know when you're making that gradual return, how do you know when you need to back off a little bit? Yeah, so when you start feeling that pain that you might have been experiencing prior to, that might be mean that we're kind of at that threshold where we might need to dial things back a little bit and give yourself a little more time at a lower level, lower intensity, or a lower time limit. So it, it's all about listening to your body. And I can tell you for the most part that most athletes, uh, whether you're a weekend warrior or not, um, have a good sense have a good sense of their body. They have a pendulum that kind of lets them know when their body's working well and when it's not working well. And and what's the rate of re-injury? I mean, it, I don't know if it's possible to give a number. You know, yeah. it's probably different for different parts of the body. But generally speaking, do people re-injure the same parts over and over again? Yeah. So this is um, I would tell you that that's more prevalent with soft tissue muscle injuries. So um, hamstring injuries, adductor groin injuries, those are one, calf injuries. These are ones that if you come back too quickly, that you're at risk for re-injuring this. Um, it's probably something you see more in higher level athletes as they're trying to get back to a higher level in a quicker amount of time compared to someone who's probably not you know, making their living by playing a professional sport. And what we notice is that when you re-injure that, your chances are it's going to take a little bit longer for you to recover that second time around. So we try to be a little bit cautious in terms of when we're slowly reintroducing athletes back to those activities. What do you think about swimming? Generally, I think people think of swimming as like the sport where you're least likely to hurt yourself. Is yeah. that accurate? Oh, I, I well... Um, That's what so, I think. I mean, I swam when I was pregnant. Yeah, everything so, else was like, I didn't want to run and fall. I don't, you know. Well, let me tell you, swimmers are some tough athletes. Um, the endurance levels that they have to be able to do what they need to do and the stresses that they put on their shoulders and, and the rest of their body is, you know, I would rival uh, other high-level sports. Um, but I can tell you that swimming, though, um, is a great workout. It's great for um, people who are trying to recover from um, injury as well, too. Um, I'll have some of my uh, college and professional athletes that I take care of. We'll have them work on their conditioning in the pool as they're recovering because you can eliminate gravity. Um, I had one patient who I operated on uh, this past winter um, who we were trying to get him ready for the NFL combine, and he had a hip surgery. And basically, we allowed him to start running in the pool while wearing a vest. Uh, the problem was he didn't know how, he never learned how to swim. So this was his <laughs> opportunity that he had to finally learn how to swim and, you know, scared the bejesus out of him. But it allowed for him to, you know, get his fitness back so that we could save some time on his recovery for, for him to be ready for the pro day. Um, you know, Buster, you talked about breaking your thumb and then playing while it was still healing. 
So a lot of people, you know, following doctor's orders are going to get back into the activity while they're still healing. And there might be some discomfort or pain in that. How do you work through that mentally? So I broke my thumb and I did kind of have that pressure. This is my contract here in Cleveland. So I kind of had that pressure like, hey, it's my contract here. I need to get paid, blase, blase. So the doctor said, let me know, like, hey, you can play with this, but you got to wear a cast. So I was out there with like a boxing glove on, look like. And um, I can say they did a good job of of having my thumb in there to where when I would hit somebody, I would feel it just a tad, but it wasn't nothing too serious to like, hey, I need to come out the game. Were you holding back? Were you protecting yourself or were you able to give it your all? So the first week of practice with it, I was holding back a little bit because I wasn't sure. But football is one of those type of sports, like regardless whether you want to hold back or not, you're going to get hit. So once I hit it a couple times, I was all in. And anything you tell yourself, any any mantras to push through? I mean, you you said you're used to pushing through pain. You know, every game you're getting banged up. Anything you tell yourself to get through that? What did I tell myself to get through it? I would say, I mean, it's my job for one. So it's my job, and I have to play. Like, they're paying you to play the game. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of NFL players, when they get hurt, they're gone. So... I would say I do have a passion for the game, but at the end of the day, I am paid to play, and I sit on the sidelines. So that's the main reason. So it's your commitment, your commitment to, to yeah, to your team. Mm-hmm. And and when you hurt one side, doctor, how do you make sure that then you do you continue working the other side? Like let's say you hurt your shoulder, yeah. do you keep lifting with one arm so that the other arm doesn't get weaker, or do you let them fade out together? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, that's uh, that's a question I, I get quite frequently. Um, I'll have, you know, there's a patient that I just saw today who we operated on the shoulder a couple of weeks ago and he's a fitness guy. And he's like, he's like, so I can go in there and just start lifting with my <laughs> other arm. And sometimes within some injuries, you can certainly do that. Um, if you're coming back from surgery, it's, it's probably a good idea to be a little more cautious with that because you don't want to end up overcompensating and end up putting more stress onto any in- injured side that you might have during that process. So it kind of depends. You know, If you have a hip injury, it's kind of tough to rehab one without rehabbing the other because the hips are attached to your, to your body. Uh, but for your knees and shoulders, uh, sometimes you can usually try to work out the other side within reason and not trying to lift heavy weights, but enough just to keep things uh, strong so that you're not uh, so that it can take off the load uh, that the other side's dealing with. But then when you're dealing with an imbalance as the one yeah. side heals, do you then scale back the healthy side to match the weaker side, or do how do you get yeah. them back to being at the same level? That's a great question. That's it's kind of a, a lot of cookbook right there of you know how much you should dial in or dial out in terms of your activity. For the most part, if you're dealing with a, a routine injury, you're not going to be out of play or out of activity for so long that you're going to have a notice, noticeable difference. It's really when people are going to be shut down for long periods of time, such as when they're having surgery. That, that you'll notice that. Um, and sometimes, at least my belief is, you know, if you have someone who is, you know, used to doing physical activities, you know, once mentally needs that, you know, you know, allowing them to do certain activities within reason just to feel like that they're keeping that other side strong, even though they're rehabbing the other side, is not unreasonable. How do you know when it's time to hang up an activity, when maybe you can't run anymore and you need to swim or cycle? I mean, it's got to be heartbreaking. A lot of us love the activities that we do. How do you know? So what I usually suggest to patients is, you know, if you have someone who loves to do high impact activities where they're, you know, running, jumping, those type of things, and they're noticing that they're starting to get more and more injuries, you know, as opposed to saying that you need to shut down that activity, what I tell them is that 
you know, perhaps we need to focus on cross training. So trying to focus our efforts, you know, you can still do that activity that you like to do, whether it's a high impact workout class or running, maybe once or twice a week. But then those other workouts that you're doing throughout the week, you know, let's maybe work in some elliptical or stationary bike or swimming so that you're giving other muscles, you're giving those muscles an opportunity to heal, but also working out other muscles and you're kind of working it all around. So. And Buster, before we go, I want to talk quickly about the, some of the work that you're doing in the off season. You're, you're teaching classes in the city. Yeah. Tell me about that. So um, it's called Screen Pro Speed and Screen Pro Speed started in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, what I pretty much did when I was coming up I didn't have the like the money to go and go to those facilities and things like that. So I said, hey, if I make it, I'm going to start my own training program. And I started Screen Pro Speed in Atlanta. And what we did was we went to high schools and let kids come out and we taught them how to run and things like that. So one day there was a parent that had, and it was free also to throw it out there. So every kid can come. But one day a parent's like, hey, do you do stuff for parents? So I was like, ah, I mean, y'all can come out here and run sprints. But, <laughs> you know, that wasn't going to be easy for every adult. So I had looked up something called uh, high interval training, and I had started it up here. I went to Core, New York, and um, high interval training is pretty much a 30-minute workout, and after the workout, you're still burning calories just because your metabolism is going so fast. But um, we had uh, started at Core, and um, we did these HIIT workouts, and the first class I had, six people came. And I'm like, man, I thought I had more pool than that. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I went on a, I went on um, Instagram, started advertising, like, hey, I'm having these hit workouts. And long story short, the last one we had was 227 people. Wow. So it got pretty big really fast. So you can go on BuzzScreen.com and see, like, all the events, pictures, and things like that and seeing how much it's grown in one summer. And so you're going to keep doing this on the off season. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. Like right now, I'm doing a couple of events a, a month, so like two events a month. And we've had two in Harlem, and then there will be another one in uh, Coney Island coming up on November 6th. That's great. And tell me again where people can find the information. Busterscreen.com. Okay, Busterscreen.com. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for thanks being for here. I'm so impressed that you yeah, played you with a broken it. thumb. And, uh, and Doctor, thanks for all the great advice. Staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at MaraCamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can listen to motivated episodes three days early on the TuneIn app. New episodes will post on Fridays. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara Skevel-Kampel. 